0: Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine.
1: Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host of this show and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has been made possible by a generous grant that we received so that we could come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in Christian Living Magazine. I'm thrilled to have my friend Jason Herring in this week's spotlight. I met Jason several years ago at a community prayer meeting and was struck by his heart for God. It wasn't long until we became Facebook friends, only discover that we know many of the same people and the next thing i knew we were running into each other more and more jason welcome and thank you for joining me today
2: thanks andy it's good to be here
1: so you mentioned you, so you're in our current issue of christian living magazine
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's about mountain climbing yes or is that technically rock climbing
2: no it'd be mountain climbing. okay
1: <laughs> just making sure and and your first climb was mount bora yes and you talk you open in your article because you wrote your article, about what a profound effect Mount Bora had on you the first time you climbed. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Do you yeah, remember that?
2: I do. It was, it was actually September 1st, 2016, and um, it was a pretty windy day, but there were, there were probably about eight other people up on the mountain that day that I encountered. But when I took out from the trailhead that morning, um, there was, you know, I didn't see anyone, you know, matter of fact, I didn't run into anyone, I think, till I got up close to Chicken Out Ridge. And it's at about 11,300 feet and they call it Chicken Out Ridge because that's usually where most people decide, you know, to chicken out, you know, and it's uh, it's like a category three scramble for those that are familiar with, you know, mountain climbing, rock climbing terms and which um, doesn't require ropes or anything but you know you're going up over some there's it's exposed and there's boulders and you know uh, ledges that you're going up over and uh, so I I made it all the way to the summit and that's Idaho's tallest peak at twelve thousand six hundred sixty seven feet and um, and came down and I just you know it was I remember telling my wife on the phone I said that is the most thrilling and most terrifying experience that I ever had um, but you know I was hooked like it it, it got in my blood and then the next thing was like, okay, when can I do this again? Or something like it, you know, it, it really does. It, it, and some people don't react that way. You know, some people do it like, okay, I never want to do that again. But for me, it just, it wasn't that kind of experience. It was, it was exciting.
1: Okay. I've done that. Put that on the done list, Right, but not you. <laughs> I love that in, in your article You quote John, is it Muir?
2: Yes, John Muir.
1: Um, We are now in the mountains and they are in us, kindling enthusiasm, making every nerve quiver, filling every pore and cell of us. You know, I'm no athlete and I'm certainly not a mountain climber. I'm barely a stair climber. (laughs) So I marvel at this because um, I've never enjoyed sports. I've never, I didn't, I was as a kid, I didn't, I hated PE. and so I'm not afraid of hard work, but I just the exercise thing. Um, so as I as I read this, I was just like, "Oh my gosh, this just it intrigues me." Mm-hmm. You know what makes these people tick. So um, so you got it bad, and you were traveling a lot for work at that time. Yes, I it, was. Th- that was obviously pre-COVID when people were yes. still traveling. <laughs> so so did you just not climb when you were traveling, or did you did you um, climb when you traveled? Were you able to do that?
2: Yeah, it usually at the end because my my trips would last like Monday through Friday. And so um, we had a uh, I was on duty out in the Pacific Northwest. And so I was spending a lot of time in Bend and, you know, Tri-Cities and Portland. And so the idea just kind of dawned on me on one of my work trips. You know, hey, why don't I stay a day over and go climb South Sister, you know, outside of Bend or Beautiful beautiful mountain range there. Yes. Uh, and then Mount Adams, you know, I climbed Mount Adams, uh, which is Washington's second tallest peak, um, and just got the inspiration for that when I was working in the Tri-Cities in Yakima. And then um, and then I would go down and do a Spartan race in Ogden every year, and so I was looking up Utah's tallest peak and found out that's called King's Peak, and it's uh, kind of over near the Wyoming border. Matter of fact, you cross over into Wyoming and then go back into Utah to get to the trailhead. It's very, very remote, uh, but that was a, another thrilling adventure, and so – uh, yeah, just taking the opportunities when they presented themselves to go and, um, you know, as as mountain climbers say, bag some peaks. You know, and uh, and it's just an incredible experience. You get to see a part of God's creation that, um, you know, not a lot of people experience, and it really gives you an appreciation, you know, and and wonder, it, it and really worship. You know, you, I j- I just feel so much worship just while I'm out there on the trail and when I'm up on the mountain, whether I'm on the summit, you know, or coming down. Uh, just marveling at that view of, of God's creation.
1: It's amazing. I'm I'm a beach person. So, mm. you know, it's like, I feel so close to God when I'm on a beach because yeah. um, you can't look at that and not know that there was a miracle that created it. So, and I'm a little skittish. So I'm sitting here marveling at how brave you are because I get off very far on a trail by myself. I start worrying about the bears and the wolves and all of that. Mm-hmm. And so you are a little bit bigger than me too and a little mm-hmm. more physically fit than I am. But- you know, how cool is that? And to go into those really remote areas. So in your article, you talk about, um, there are nine twelvers in the state of Idaho. What is, what does that mean?
2: So there are nine mountains in Idaho that are over 12,000 feet. And, uh, you know, like Colorado, they have, I don't know how many 14ers, you know, and, uh, but, but in Idaho, we don't have any that tall, you know, Utah's tallest peak is just over 13,000 feet. Um, but all ours are, you know, Boris is the tallest, like I said, at 12,667. And then there's nine that are in that that just over the 12,000-foot range. Uh, and so um, I read an article in Idaho Statesman about a man who had done all nine of the 12ers. And there's even a website, and the last I checked, there are 241 people that are listed that have done all nine of Idaho's 12ers. And so I thought, you know, this is something I'd like to do as well, and Just kinda slowly. And what is interesting, even though Bora is the tallest, it's the easiest because there are about three to four thousand people, according to the sign at the trailhead, that will attempt to do Bora every year. So the trail is very well worn. And except for that 300 foot section of Chicken Out Ridge, um, it's you know, it's it's not there's not a lot of scrambling involved or, you know, um uh, a lot of exposure you know so the other mountains you know even though they're shorter they're a little bit more of a challenge
1: just simply because the trails aren't that well
2: right worn that's yeah that's some interesting. of them you have to do what they call route finding which means you know you're you might be on a well-marked trail going up the mountain until you get up near the face and then all of a sudden you're it just disappears and so it's like okay well now what's the best route to get up from here and then you just kind of have to figure that out on your own
1: that's crazy that's that's incredible but Wow. So let's fast forward to Labor Day weekend 2020 this year, because that's really where where this story begins. Mm-hmm. Um, Mount Bora started it, but yeah. our conversation really starts Labor Day weekend. So for you, this was number eight of the nine.
2: Yeah. So I had been, you know, being locked down because of the COVID restrictions. Um, I wasn't traveling, and so I'm not doing any of the mountains abroad or anything, Um And so I thought, well, maybe now's a good time to just take a Saturday or Friday and go over and try to start checking off some of these Idaho 12ers. And so I had done uh, Hyman Peak outside of Sun Valley, which is the the shortest of the 12ers. And then I'd done Bora. So I've got two and I've got seven to go. So um, seven of the nine 12ers are all in the Lost River Range where Mount Bora is found. And so I started just working my way through those, you know, checking them off. I did Lost River Peak and then Leatherman um, and then uh, Breitenbach and then uh, Mount Church, Mount Donaldson. And so I'm on Mount Idaho. And so this for me is eight of nine. The only mountain I will have left is Diamond Peak over in the Limhi Range. And I was planning on doing that the following week after Labor Day. And then I can say, hey, I've, I've done them all. You know, I checked them off and got through them this summer and so I'm up on Mount Idaho, and Mount Idaho is just south of Mount Bora. You get great views of Mount Bora from the, the ridge line up on Mount Idaho. And uh, I made it to the summit, and I'd already seen on the weather report that in the afternoon the winds were going to start gusting, and they did. I was only up there about 5, 10 minutes, and they just started you know picking up really strong, and so about 35 miles an hour. So I thought, well, I'm going to start making my way down, and I was going to stop in Arco and get a burger at Pickles Place, and... So I'm about a quarter of the way down the mountain, and um, I'm kind of traversing around this ledge, um, and it it was a narrow ledge, but it wasn't, again, not something you needed to be roped on, you know, but but just your hands in the rock. So I'm using three points of contact and just kind of moving, not unlike someone would, like putting up Christmas lights on their house on uh, Thanksgiving weekend or something, and and I'm just moving along and um to some more promising terrain. And then all of a sudden the the rock that I was gripped into, which a little bit wider than my shoulders, it just came out. It was like someone hit the eject button on a VCR and it just popped out and it threw me on my heels. And because the ledge I was standing on was it was so narrow, there was no place for me to step back. And so it 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 sent me airborne and I was free-falling. And I just remember falling and thinking, uh, this is it. You know, that was the thought that went through my head. And I also remember thinking in the back of my mind, where is that rock? Because it came out with me. So I didn't know if it was going to come down on top of my chest, my head, you know, where's the rock at? And I landed square on my back, um, fell about 15 feet, my head bounced. Uh, Thankfully, I was wearing a helmet. And then I went to a somersault about one and a half times and then slid. And this scree line, which is the loose, sharp rock that's up there on the mountains, mm-hmm. that was between the cliff that I was on and this other cliff next to it. And so I, I'm i just laying on my back, and I'm staring up at the blue sky, and I thought, I can't believe I'm alive, you know? And so I got up, sat up, started checking myself if there was any compound fractures or anything. And I realized I was okay, except, you know, cut up on my legs and stuff. And But then when I went to stand up, that's when I felt this just stabbing pain in my my right ankle and I thought maybe I'd broke my ankle or sprained it. Um, But, uh, but it was my heel that I found out later that had broken in over nine places. And, and heel bone is really hard to break. That calcaneus is one of the hardest bones to break in the body, but it was actually my ankle bone that drove into my heel that broke it. Um, So that just gives you an idea of the impact with which I was hitting the ground and tumbling off the mountain.
1: I'm marveling at the clarity of the thoughts you were you were truly processing everything as you were falling and um clearly more than your head bounced <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so yes. so then what do you do because you're up there you're climbing alone right um which which I, isn't
2: a great idea i
1: was gonna say i've already talked to you about that <laughs> but um <laughs> anyway, just so you know listeners he's already been chided um so so then what what i you know because now you're broken,
2: right? And so I basically had to bear crawl up this scree slide um to the top of where the the cliffs met. And uh and so now I'm sitting on uh the the west face about a quarter of a mile up the west face of Mount Idaho and uh about 600 vertical feet and I'm um thinking I you know what am I how am I going to get down off this, you know? So I I uh splinted my ankle with some duct tape that I had, and then I took some ibuprofen, gave it about 15 minutes because I thought, well, maybe I just banged it up and bruised it really bad. But after 15 minutes, when I got up and tried to walk again, I, I knew that something was wrong. You know, it was broken. So I called 911, and they put me in touch with the Chalice Sheriff's Department, who contacted South Custer Search and Rescue. And they said, we're sending a team of guys, but they may not be able to get to you till the next day. Will you be all right? And I had uh, some extra cliff bars and water and stuff and you know, and even layers of clothing. So I said, I'll be fine if I have to hunker down for the night. And they said, we're working on a helicopter, but we don't know. And so they, St. Luke's has one helicopter in their fleet that can go at that altitude. And so they were able to get the helicopter and they flew to the saddle on the ridgeline there, which was about a little over a half a mile from where I was. And the sheriff told me, he said, you need to try to get down into that to where the landing zone is. And so I said, okay. And I'm thinking, you know, the only thing I can, I can move on my hands in my rear end, you know, like I can't walk. So I'm just kind of like just scooting along and uh, on this really steep mountain face, you know, where you can't, you know, it'll go for like six, 10 feet and it just disappears. And then, you know, it just kind of just keeps dropping and stair stepping down. But I just thought, you know, if God spared me from this awful accident, then he's going to get me down this mountain. Okay. You know, I mean, he obviously has a plan and purpose. And that was what I i really, when I was sitting there after my fall, I, it just as clear as day, I, I heard God say to me, you know, I have a plan and purpose for your life. And um, if I was going to punish you for all the mistakes that you've made, things you've done wrong, then I could have killed you just now, but I've got a plan and purpose for your life. And I, I just felt this overwhelming peace and calm so with God's grace, I made it down the West Face, and then the the EMT from St. Luke's and two guys from South Custer Search and Rescue met me where the ridgeline meets the West Face. And uh, so he gave me some morphine, fentanyl, you know, for the pain. And then and then um, they the, because the terrain is so steep and rocky, they couldn't assist me in any way other than just to walk along with me with their headlamps. And I had my headlamp and uh, just keep me company while I just continued to scoot along and um, and they, you know, found us a route to get back over to the landing zone, but even just having just their presence, you know, and, and the helicopter, because of the high winds, they can only fly up there 40 miles an hour is the threshold. So it was 35 and it was getting dark. And so for safety, they left and they said, we'll be back in the morning. So we had to bivouac overnight on that saddle, uh, to wait for them to come back the next day. And it got down to about 30 degrees. And, uh, and because you're on a saddle, you're getting a lot of crosswinds, you know, pretty windy. But um, but just having them there, just the company, the presence, conversation—you know—it was so encouraging. And and of course, there's so many, you know, ways you think about just you know how God places us in community, you know, yeah. with believers and people to encourage us and walk alongside of us. And so uh, that was just a, a real blessing for me, you so, know, so,
1: that night. And so you survived the fall, mm-hmm. which is miracle number one. Miracle number right. two is the phone worked. Yes. Now, a lot of people don't know, and I know because of a situation 25 years ago that if your phone can make satellite connections, 911 works pretty much everywhere. Mm. But there are those weird places that they don't. Right. And so, but that's miracle number two. And then miracle number three is the wind stayed below that 40 mile an hour threshold yes. so that they could drop.
2: They made about three them. passes around the mountain and. And I was just really praying because the, the winds were, I mean, they were really gusting. And I thought, I don't know if they're going to be able to land. And, uh, and so when they, they did finally touch down and I saw the guys come off the helicopter, I just felt such a, knowing that I wasn't on the mountain alone anymore. You know,
1: Well, and that's true because with, with a bad break like that, there's always shock that sets in and, and mm-hmm. there are other complications that can set in. So, you know, that had to be really comforting. I have to, I have to applaud you though, too, even though you were alone. Um, that you had extra gear with you. You had extra food. You were prepared in in that instance. We used to snowmobile years ago, and I couldn't believe how many people would show up at the beginning of the day with a sandwich and a bottle of water and Mm -hmm. nothing extra. And I'm like, what if you break down? What if there's an avalanche? What if, you know? And so, I'm, you know, truly, you take this very seriously and you went well prepared. So tell us about um, the night on the mountain and, and the next morning.
2: Yeah. So we, they had these, uh, bivy sacks, you know, and it's just kind of like a, like a giant candy bar wrapper, you know, and it just traps your body heat, you know? And so you, you wrap up in that, you know, pull it tied up around your neck and well, I found a boulder to lean up against and, uh, use backpack as kind of like a pillow. And so we all hunker down for a cold night. And, um, and then, uh, you know, I just, you know, you, you don't sleep soundly, you know, even with the, the morphine, you know, I'm, but it, but it was such it was a very clear night. Uh, the moon was out. The stars were out. And uh, just looking at all that and just thinking about, wow, you know what? You know, I'm alive. Um, yes, I've got a broken foot. But but look at this experience. You know, I mean, what what an incredible thing to to be able to live through. And two new friends. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so uh, the next morning, um, the helicopter came in and uh um, the uh, lady EMT, she comes up and she had a bag full of uh, uh, McDonald's uh, sausage McMuffins with chocolate milk and hash browns. And she said, are you hungry? And I said, oh, yes, thank you. You know, and I mean, that was like a state dinner. You know, it was just it was there was hot, warm food, you know, then. And uh, so she was passing that out to each of us. And then they loaded me up on the um, the St. Luke's uh, helicopter and took me to St. Luke's Magic Valley there in Twin. And um, but it was, you know, just such an incredible experience, and the gratitude for the not only for the EMTs, you know, from St. Luke's, but the guys from South Custer Search and Rescue, which is purely volunteer; they don't get paid for that. And and I've heard that, you know, I've heard, you know, since because they, they shared some of the stories while we were on the mountain, and then since then, of some of the rescue operations that they've done out there in the, you know, Idaho backcountry and wilderness, and it's just incredible what those guys you know, go through and, and to, you know, help people. And, and, and sometimes it's a situation where somebody from the East who doesn't, you're not used to the altitude and um, has no experience other than maybe a rock climbing wall at the YMCA and they get in trouble and yeah. get over their head. But there's also people that, you know, have experience, you know, and, um, and just a freak accident, like what happened to me happens to them. And, uh, and they, they meet, wind up needing help, you know? So, um so I really have a lot of respect for those guys.
1: They have a they have a rogue heart for what they do. Yes, they do. Know, that it's so cool. So I know your wife a little bit, Suzanne. Mm-hmm. How did she handle all of this news?
2: Uh she when I told her on the phone, she was she told me she was shaking. <laughs> she was visiting her folks at the time. Uh and that's one of the reasons why I went uh when I did because uh uh she was gone, so I thought well I've got some extra time here, you know, so um, and, uh, she just, the thought she said of having to tell the kids, you know, that yeah. I wasn't coming home or something had happened, you know, was just terrifying to her. But when my mother-in-law said, well, I guess Jason probably won't be mountain climbing anymore. Uh, she laughed and said, oh no, uh, he'll be climbing again, you know, cause she knew I'd, I'd want to get back up on the saddle. You know, it's kind of like getting thrown off a horse and, uh, you want to get back up and, and do it again. And. And again, you know, using safety protocols and common sense and, um, you know, mitigating your risk. So the one thing I did learn from this, because I, I did all the things right that I was supposed to do, but just having a, a climbing buddy with me. So that's something I'll, I'll definitely do in the future. Not, not
1: be, and, but you are hiking again. We were talking about yes. that. So here it is yeah, in December and you're, and, you're, and you're back in, in the foothills and, and doing it again. I just marvel at that. So this was an incredible tell. And I have to be honest. With our listeners, you and I do know each other, but I'm not in your inner circle. And, and I had no idea this accident had happened and because um, I'd have been bringing food to your house because um, mm-hmm. that's, that's my love language. I'll bring you food. Um, but early in October, you you posted your your story on your Facebook page and I caught mm-hmm. it. And I shamelessly reached out to you and said, Jason, this is phenomenal. And, and, and watching the hand of God work through this story, and I asked if, if we could share it with our readers, and you were so gracious. But that just, you know, one thing led to another. Our editor, Gay, and I were talking mercilessly about you behind your back and the heart mm-hmm. that you have for the Lord, and his great outdoors and and in one day we we just decided it was the right time and we extended the invitation to join the Christian Living Clan and you are um I'm so excited to announce this you are our new outdoor writer and um the name of your column is
2: uh, The the Less travel
1: and you debut in January. Is that yes. Correct? I'm so excited. Thank Me you. Me too. <laughs> we are So um we were, we were going to talk a little bit more about the roadless travel but we're out of time. We lost our outdoor writer, Dan Doherty, a year and a half ago um, when he had a sudden life-ending event, and it was not sports-related, but we, we took our time. We wanted to be sure, and so we are just super excited, and I look forward to having you as part of our little family.
2: Well, I'm glad to be a part of it.
1: Folks, this brings our time together to close. Jason, thank you again for joining me. If you'd like to read about Jason's encounter personally, you will find it in our current issue of Christian Living Magazine, available in over 600 locations, including Albertsons and Jacksons on the free press racks. And remember, as Jason is joining the Christian Living family as our new outdoor writer, you'll be able to follow along with him on many great adventures and our upcoming issues as well. We invite you back next week when we have a very special guest in store. And folks, we know that Christmas is this next week, and we want to wish you all a very blessed Christmas, and a Happy New Year. Until next time, God bless.
0: This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers, as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout the Treasure and Magic Valleys and in Central Idaho through McCall. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867 Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thank you for listening,
2: and we invite you to join us again next week.